Hello, I'm Greg. Let's have an inappropriate conversation I'm going to call Wonders 3, the third formal edition of music that is one song only on my MP3 player. As I've struggled a little bit with some bad news here lately, both nationally and internationally and even in my personal life, I sometimes seek the solace of a happy place. More often than not for me, that happy place, even or even especially on the rainiest of days, includes music.
So perhaps a surprise that Millie Vanilli exists at all on my MP3 player. And if it does so, then obviously one song makes sense, but perhaps not the song that people would think. If you were going to have a time capsule approach to the enigma that is Millie Vanilli as a moment in music history, it probably would be the title track or their first single, Girl, You Know It's True. But for me, I'm not a Millie Vanilli fan. Never was. And I'm really still not now. I would say the reason that this one song is on my MP3 player has a lot more to do with the songwriter, Diane Warren, than it does with the group, Millie Vanilli. And maybe the best way to explain that in a little bit better clarity is to go to Wikipedia. And I went just looking for the song Blame It on the Rain to try to explain, or maybe even justify, its presence as the one song only from Millie Vanilli on my MP3 player, and perhaps to explain why there are any songs at all. From the chart performance segment of the Wikipedia article, it says this, Blame It on the Rain debuted on the U.S. Billboard Hot 100 on October 7th, 1989, at number 65. Seven weeks later, for the week ending November 25th, it reached number one and occupied the spot for two weeks. It also spent a total of 23 weeks on the Hot 100. The song became Millie Vanilli's third number one single on the Hot 100, Rain was their final single to top the chart before the infamous scandal took off. It was preceded at number one on the Hot 100 by Bad English, When I See You Smile, also penned by Warren. So, Diane Warren has as much to do with this as anyone else. Perhaps I'll start with the credits for Diane Warren, and then I'll begin to make some kind of reference to Millie Vanilli and why I actually do think that from an historical perspective... There's something interesting there. Might be something I've shared before on Inappropriate Conversations, but if so, it has been years. First off, this kind of soft pop music, even the power ballad from hard rock or heavy metal bands, is not my thing. There's not that much of this kind of thing on my MP3 player, which makes it stand out as an exception. But if you wanted that pop song kind of mentality especially a moderately to uh, softly paced love song, you're not going to do much better than Diane Warren. The list of songwriting credits for her is too vast to review, and I'm not imminently planning on shouting out to her as a different drummer. So I'll just make a couple of mentions, even just looking at like the years 1997 to 1999, to give you a sense of her influence. It would be one thing if she was a songwriter responsible for hundreds of songs that had spent time on the Billboard Top 100 list. That's probably true. But take a look at the particular songs. And again, this is just over probably a two-year span from uh, being released as a single in 97 to being credited with like Song of the Year Award nominations as late as 1999. Songs along with Blame It on the Rain would be Because You Loved Me by Celine Dion, for You I Will by Monica, How Do I Live, recorded both by Leanne Rimes and Trisha Yearwood, Unbreak My Heart by Tony Braxton, I Don't Want to Miss a Thing by Aerosmith and later Mark Chestnut. I think you'll get a sense of exactly how influential this particular songwriter is. And I think my perspective on Millie Vanilli, actually working in record stores and kind of being on the front lines of the aftermath of that controversy, was that just because these two characters who were uh, the stars of their music video and the front in every conceivable way for the group didn't actually have anything to do much with the the songs itself. They weren't the songwriters. They didn't play the musical instruments. They weren't even really the singers. Um, they were at best the the uh, the pantomimers, the lip syncers, for want of a better word. 
But that doesn't change the fact that real songwriters contributed, in some cases, some pretty good work, and in other cases, some mediocre, you know, just uh, soup-of-the-day pop stuff. And real musicians, studio musicians, performed on those albums. And I was always frustrated at the time when this, you know, this album hit, and we did a ton of sales in, in uh, CD and tape, and perhaps even vinyl at the very beginning. It's hard for me to remember. Uh, that was right at the end of vinyl. But we did a ton of sales, and it seemed to me that at no point was the music on the album itself any real sort of fraud. It's not like the liner notes were pretending that there weren't you know, guitar players and bass players and keyboard players and drummers, and uh, Diane Warren and other songwriters were given credit for songwriting credits on it. The real fraud to me happened for the people who went to see the band in concert, or the quote band, unquote, in concert. And I found that to be very frustrating, that if you look at the the court rulings and the judgments and the decisions made by the record label, the refunds to customers who were, quote, deceived, unquote, by an album were disproportionately large to the discounts given to customers who were, you know, given some sort of cash back or credit back for the concert. In many ways, it had exactly wrong. The people who went to see them in concert were the ones who were deceived. The people who picked up an album, probably knowing full well, that most of the musicianships was coming from studio musicians, not the two alleged singers. And the only trick that was being played on the music buyer was the trick that the person on the cover didn't actually do the singing. This is, in fact, very common in pop, rock, and metal music. And, trying to stay in my happy place, meaning that this is an inappropriate conversation show that's going to stay as far away as I can from politics, religion, uh, any intersections there between. I'm going to try to stay close to the pop culture side of things, but I would say, though, that we have hit an era of unprecedented deception. And I would even go so far as to say that whatever lies there were by having two people who weren't really part of the art, if you want to call it that, of Millie Vanilli, getting all the credit uh, is nothing compared to what I've seen just in the last couple of months in this country. But again, staying away from that, trying to veer uh, toward my happy place. And let me go to one of the things that I like the most about One Hit Wonders is, for me, somebody who's one hit only on my MP3 player may not even be a hit at all, may be completely unknown or totally uncredited. And I want to start by introducing something called Fashion and a single, or a song anyway, called Sodium Pentothal Negative. <laughs> Every time you 
That's it. Let's sign them. This is only on my MP3 player because I was able to make an MP3 file from my vinyl LP of IRS Greatest Hits Volumes 2 and 3 or some collection, which really wasn't intended to be a hits collection from that record label, so much as a way of the IRS record label introducing bands that they had signed to fans by putting some familiar artists and songs, uh, like R.E.M., in a collection with other completely unknown artists. And right at the end of this track by Fashion, you can sort of hear the band making kind of a reference to that notion of, of having one successful song and thereby getting signed. But there's other groups that I have where maybe the, the group or the artist is relatively unknown, and it might make sense for there only to be one song by that performer on my MP3 player, but the song itself is not unknown. So as I call out Richard Berry, I'd like to call him out as being the original recording, or at least a much earlier recording, of one of the most famous songs in rock history, Louie Louie. And the number one reason I've got this one song from Richard Berry in my collection is that, unlike the Kingsman's version, you can understand the words. Dun, dun, dun. willfully to stay in my happy place for this wonders third edition and you know one of the reasons for that is that i believe that we're potentially heading toward an era of unprecedented censorship we haven't seen this yet i think that the uh, new incoming presidential administration and the fact that the political party that's in charge of both houses of congress uh, have at least in their history a very strong uh, censorship bent uh, we have record label stickers, uh, not solely because of the Republican Party, but if you put a handful of Democrats together with a, a whole heck of a lot of Republicans, you've gotten 
over the years many efforts to ban albums, including efforts to ban Louie Louie when it was recorded by the Kingsmen. So, that's my introduction, that's my way of getting us started, and I've heard from friends in the past that one of the things that I ought to do more of when I'm doing a music-focused show is allow songs to string together. So I want to start a set right now with a song that's only in my collection because of the movie Amorous Peros. Uh, I uh, heard I watched the movie only because of movies you should see. I didn't find it to be the most um, movie you should see worthy um, film in the history of that particular podcast. But one of the things that did stick with me was the music. And that even in scenes where I wasn't mentally eager to replay some of the mise-en-scene again in my head, that maybe some of the drama was not to my taste, there's some, you know, there's some darkness in that particular film. And some of that darkness was accompanied by Control Machete and their song, Si Signor. Me arrollacho inconsciente en mi vientre Los segundos pasados cargados Tatuados en mi espalda empapados Aunados a espasmos de llanto y de risa He andado sin pausa, sin prisa Así de lento el momento Y no termina así de lento Cruzando entre las espinas Dime que se siente, dime que se siente Dime que se siente el sudor en la frente Dime que se siente, dime si presientes Dime que se siente el sudor en la frente Sí señor Al sistema y toma mi cuerpo lo hace flotar, respirar y tranquilo. Estoy en el sitio como para ir a sembrar un poco y después recogerlo poco a poco, llevarlo a mi bodega y ver lo que me interesa, lo bueno, lo malo, lo que viene, viene el que ausenta la mantiene. Viene, viene, viento, caricias, levedad y sabor, fuego, sonrisa, realidad y dolor. Sí, señor. 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 S
lugar. Nosotros nos disponemos a concluir con nuestra misión. Tengan la bondad de ser felices. Pues Campayo Climaco, reportero del aire. Señor locutor, quiere hacerme el favor de decirme qué hora son. Son las 4 con 20, 4 con 20 minutos. Gracias, muchas gracias.
that I see walking in these woods? Why, it's Little Red Riding Hood. Hey there, Little Red Riding Hood. You sure are looking good. You're everything a big bad wolf could want. Listen to me. Little Red Riding Hood. I don't think little big girls should go walking in these spooky old Widespread venereal disease is gonorrhea. It is caused by the gonococcus germ. Note that the two spherical bacteria are pressed together so that one side is flattened. The gonococcus is a rather delicate germ that dries up quickly and dies in the outside world. It prospers only in the dark, warm, moist recesses of the human body. Now look at picture number two, please. This one's the sneaky spirochete. The corkscrew-shaped germ that causes syphilis is so tiny that 3,000 of them laid end-to-end will measure only one inch. The spirochete moves readily from person to person by direct skin-to-skin contact during lovemaking and intercourse. It thrives in the warmth and moistness of the human body. Look at picture number three, please. (laughs) 
this lovely creature is not a germ, but an insect called the crab louse. And these beauties inhabit the pubic hairs around the reproductive organs. And during intimate sexual contact, they transfer from the hairs of an infected person to the pubic hairs of the unsuspecting partner. Thus, a crab infection spreads in the same way as syphilis, gonorrhea, or any other venereal disease. Now look at the final picture, please. Venereal diseases are caused by living germs that reach you when your body is in intimate contact with that of an infected person. Now, if you suffer from any venereal disease, don't try to cure yourself. A person who tries self-treatment for venereal disease has a fool for a doctor. Don't try to cure yourself. 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 Okay, They Must Be Russians was the name of that British uh, comedy rock group. I'm not sure what to make of them because this is the only song of theirs that I have. It's the only song of theirs that I've ever heard called Don't Try to Cure Yourself. Before that, what might be the most famous song in this particular edition of Wonders, Sam the Sham and the Pharaohs, their version of Little Red Riding Hood. And I have Little Red Riding Hood on my MP3 player two times, but only one of them by what I'm going to call the original, Sam the Sham, 999, uh, a semi-punk group. I'm going to call them punk for want of a better word. Uh, they came right in the aftermath of sort of the jam and the clash, and their version of uh, Little Red Riding Hood is pretty solid as well, and kind of reminded me of the connection between this sort of uh, Bad Boys 50s rock and some of the things you were hearing with the three chords and a cloud of dust uh, rock of people like The Clash, and, and then, of course, 999. And in between there, another soundtrack song for me. I've got New Age Girl by Dead Eye Dick as the only song on my MP3 player by Dead Eye Dick. And even though I've got Dead Eye Dick CD downstairs, or at least I believe I do, I did back in the day, this is the only song that actually made it onto my first MP3 player and has carried forward since then. It does always make me smile. Clever turn of phrase. But like the Control Machete song getting onto my player because of the soundtrack to the movie Amorous Peros, the Dead Eye Dick song is on my uh, MP3 player, not from their album's cut, but from, I think, the soundtrack to Dumb and Dumber. Nerd Hurdles, where every week, Jacob and Mandy will help you navigate the labyrinth of nerddom. Don't be afraid. But you will be. No, you won't. You will be. Nerd. This is simplysyndicated.com. Hey, Mandy. Have you heard about Simply Everything? Why, no, Jacob, I've not heard about Simply Everything. What is that? Simply Everything is the paid subscription service provided by Simply Syndicated. I love Simply Syndicated! Which features such great shows as Make It So and Ooh. Movies You Should See, Do Ask, Do Tell, Ooh. all the Federation shows like Starbase 66, Nerd Hurdles, The Masters of None. How do I sign up? Well, everything you need to know is at simplysyndicated.com slash everything. Everything? I love everything! 
for a mere four pounds ninety nine pence per month. Is that what it is? That's what it is. Ninety nine pence? I don't know. I don't know how they say it. Like four ninety nine pounds. What about four pounds ninety nine? Four pounds ninety nine. Yeah. For under five pounds. <laughs> for under five pounds of flesh. Not of flesh. That's not what they deal in in the UK? Uh, I don't think so. That's not what a pound is? It's not a pound of flesh? I think so. Everything I know about Shakespeare has led me to believe that a pound is a pound of flesh. Uh, yeah. No, that's in Venice. Oh, right. That's why we're not going to Italy Yeah. For, on vacation. Right. It's a streaming service, not unlike Netflix. Ooh. When you sign up, you can listen to everything simply syndicated as ever made. Whenever you want? Whenever you want. It's simply everything. Now, part of this is the frustrated DJ side of me. I don't at all mind having a string of songs played together, and I'm going to be the kind of person who's going to be very obsessive about introducing them. At the uh, website at inappropriateconversations.org, when I post this particular episode, I'll add some comments and make sure that there is links to the best way, or in some cases the only way, even if it's marginally effective, to track down all of these songs. Not necessarily saying that an Amazon.com link is going to get you straight to fashion and a good way of getting an MP3, because as I mentioned earlier, I kind of had to make my own. But at the very least, there's probably vinyl, a 12-inch single or something like that available, and I'll try to make sure I do that for all of them. But I remember a few years ago when I was recording Inappropriate Conversations 65. This would have been midsummer in calendar year 2011, kind of right there in the dead center of a July, maybe August. Uh, episode that I was, at least at the time, talking about as being difficult listening music or the uh, second, the possibility of being the second best radio station in town. And I was referring to some work that I'd done oh, years ago, early 90s, maybe even late 80s. I called fine-tuning, and basically the concept of putting together a complete genre-bending mix. So we're still, today, when it comes to radio, mired in this idea that a radio station needs to be album-oriented rock, and that's it, or country music, and that's it, or pop of some variety. And to me, the real, the real power of music is being able to put these sort of things together, to combine genre, to even butt genre head-to-head against each other. And, you know, at the time, I can remember making a joke that maybe one of the things you'd do if you actually were trying to run radio this way and could view it as pirate kind of radio, because for whatever reason, this kind of genre blendering is not uh, not allowed or at least not welcomed, that you could, uh, you know, conduct yourself in a sort of an FCC challenge kind of a way and play unedited rap and certain forms of rock and metal that would uh, would get you a, a parental warning sticker or worse. And from a contest perspective, I mean, one of the joking ideas I threw out there was instead of a no-repeat day, like a no-repeat Tuesday or a no-repeat Wednesday, having an all-repeat day, all-repeat Thursday, just play, you know, Leonard Skinner's Freebird over and over again or or the entirety of a, of a Yes orchestral suite album like Relayer or... Tales from Topographic Oceans, and just let it play over and over again. And I can remember laughing that there was one station that was switching genre, maybe with a change of ownership, and they had been kind of an alternative rock station, was their shtick, and that was ending, and they were going to go top 40 or something else. And on their last day, they just played It's the End of the World as We Know It and I Feel Fine by R.E.M. 
over and over again for several hours, more than just four or five hours in a row. Uh, because for, I guess, for that program manager and some of his DJs, that was the the end of the world as they knew it, at least from a career perspective. To me, though, the best practical joke was something I was going to call Backward Masking Monday. The idea of sometime during maybe the Monday morning show or at a certain time each each week, but on a Monday, play a song backwards, literally flip it on its head, begin at the end, and play the track in an inverse order. And, you know, wait until somebody calls in and correctly guesses what the song is being played backwards. And uh, they win whatever the prize is. Then you flip it over and play it the right way. And, and for me, the best example, the best example I can imagine, I did call this out in that show back in 2011, or at least I'm sure I meant to if I didn't. The song that I, frankly, would most like to hear played backwards, just because of the instrumentation and the vocals and the way they sound forward. It struck me as interesting. So let's find out on this particular Wonders show. It is a group that I only have one song on my MP3 player for. And if I promise to play it forward in just a minute, let me play it without introducing it in a backward masking Monday kind of a style and see how long it takes you. I won't play the whole thing probably, but I'll give it at least a 30 second or minute try to see if this song doesn't sound just as recognizable one way as it did the other. Monday with all the different uh, controversial heavy metal opportunities available. Stairway to Heaven comes to mind. Queen, another one bites the dust would be an excellent example. But for me, the, the thing I wanted to hear first, things I wanted to do first was to use this as a way of zooming right in, zoom a zoom zooming right in to Rump Shaker by Rex in effect. I've got the entire CD by Rex, Rex in effect in my CD collection, still in my possession, not going anywhere. But really, I only bought it for the one song. And, I, and, and from day one, Rumshaker was in my head because I had always been curious about just exactly how that track might sound backwards. So as promised, uh, Wonders, one of the bigger hits among the Wonders that I want to share, Rumpshaker 
by Rex and Effect. Check, baby, one, two, 
If Dan Baird sounds familiar, I'm pretty sure, without looking it up, that he's the voice of the Georgia Satellites. So this song, well, probably the biggest hit from his solo career, I Love You, period, probably is reminiscent of uh, the Don't Give Me No Lines and Keep Your Hands to Yourself track from Georgia Satellites. If it's not the exact same voice, it's two peas in a pod. And before that, kind of sticking with the, the rap theme, rap from the early 90s, DJ Magic Mike and the Royal Posse with their song Feel the Bass, subtitled Speaker Terror Upper. And that was a period of time that I'm pretty sure has come and gone. I don't mean to insult anybody who is into this particular kind of rap music, but now when you hear the name Magic Mike, you do not think of a DJ, and you don't think of a DJ whose group, the Royal Posse, existed almost exclusively to create specific tonal bass notes that would vibrate a car stereo in a certain way. There was an entire period of time when some of the classical uh, keyboard-based recordings of people like Don Dixon would sell extremely well to people who otherwise might only buy rap and R&B music because that particular sort of hooked-on kind of approach to keyboard classical music had a lot of bass in it. And of all the ones that I can remember in record stores getting requests for, specifically because uh, a rap album selling not because of the raps, but because of the sound of the bass in the instrumentation, this would have been one of them, aptly named Feel the Bass. A lot of the music that I that I have from One Hit Wonders, I've got because the record label, uh, along the way of promoting an album early on, has provided just the one track. They Must Be Russians, the Don't Try to Cure Yourself, was one of these free audio files trying to, I guess, introduce America to a kind of a hip British band. Uh, whether that's an actual uh, accurate description or not, I don't know. One of my favorite, though, of those sort of here's an introductory track from an artist was Carrie Ann Hurst and her song, Are You Ready to Die? And frankly, I like this so much, I'm, I'm surprised that I haven't gotten around to buying the whole album yet. It may be just a matter of time. This might be an example of somebody who makes their way onto a Wonders recording, and then later, retrospectively, is no longer true that there's just the one song. If something's held me off in the past, though, it may be just that difference between not being really sure exactly how to classify her. Does Hearst fit in to music history from sort of a Bonnie Raitt perspective in terms of women and rock? Or is it more Joan Jett? Or is there more of a country flavor, almost a female version of what Dan Baird and the Georgia Satellites were trying to do? I honestly don't know, but I've got the song on my player. I've got that door open from the track, Are You Ready to Die? How could it ever give me any pleasure to see you suffer all? Your own You got regrets And you couldn't pay your debts And you cried out that you was all Alone It unraveled easily Now you want to look to me To prove your innocence If they look to you It's nothing more than a Coincidence Are you ready to die? Are you ready to cash it in? Is this what you wanted? The way you wanted it to end? I'm not ready to go 
Once again, trying to live up to the promise of putting some of these wonders together. That was uh, EMF, unbelievable. Uh, and again, from the Schubert Dip CD, which I may or may not have that from Schubert Dip. I may have it instead from like one of the Jock Rock collections. But yeah, EMF, probably well known at the time, pretty representative of that sort of dance rock fusion genre that was popular right in the middle of the 1990s. Before that, maybe a shocker. Scorpions. Uh, I don't know that anybody who knows me would expect that there would only be one song by the Scorpions on my MP3 player, and that it's one of the earliest ones from the Blackout CD. And No One Like You was one of the tracks from the Scorpions that would have been the first of the songs that I went to look for in places like iTunes and Zune Marketplace when I first began to have an MP3 player, and use it in a way that wasn't just ripping the track list from CDs that I already owned. So rather than saying, I've got the CD, it's already in my collection, let me make an MP3 of it so I can carry it around on this brand new device, this cool device that my family insisted was perfect for me, and you know, of course, in retrospect, turned out to be exactly right about that theory. But I did go back, in many cases, and 
just go and find the one song because I'm not quite sure, but I don't believe I've got uh, the Scorpions anywhere in my music collection. I, I know I don't have any CDs. I've recently kind of been through them all. It's possible I've got some vinyl. I might even have this the vinyl that this album's on. But this one was before I ever had a device that I could use to try to make MP3 tracks off of vinyl. This was one of those on the short list of, hey, there's really one song by this band I like, and I like this song a lot. It reminds me of my senior year in high school and my freshman year in college enough that I simply have to have it. And one of the things that the MP3 era has done for us has given us the ability to go and get that one thing that we just had to have. Contrast the Scorpions with Amelia, where I have her entire CD that includes the song Big Big World. And for whatever reason, somewhat surprisingly, I've only put that one track, maybe the title track if I'm guessing, onto my MP3 player. That is strange, because I would probably have to confess to liking the whole album all the way through. But it's been a while since I've listened to it. I know that I've seen it lately, but I went looking for it just today to make a decision. Am I going to make her a one-hit wonder and include her in this particular inappropriate conversations with a focus on music and music being my happy place? Or am I going to put this back into my computer and put the rest of the songs on my MP3 player so that I can hear them when I'm at work? Because I've evolved in workplace devices now to the point where it's really just my phone or my old MP3 player that I have to play music. I no longer have a work-based PC that functions with a, a DVD drive or a CD drive in it. I mean, it's not like I'm bringing a, any sort of stereo system into work with me. If it didn't play through my work-based computer, then I'm plugging it into speakers, whether they be speakers that are Bluetooth against my phone or uh, wired against my old Zune. So for me, it, it's kind of important that I keep track of these CDs, but more often than not, what I end up doing is putting the songs onto my phone. I couldn't find Amelia to do that. But that's okay because the song has this sort of ironic, pensive sadness to it as well. So even when I do veer in the direction of music to try to find some solace and what I'm going to call my happy place, it doesn't mean that the music itself always has to be upbeat and happy. Not in a set list that includes songs like Are You Ready to Die? A Big, Big World. And even the same kind of uh, unrequited love expressed in a song like No One Like You. I don't want my feelings restrained, as the band says. Now this is going to lead us up to our different drummer today. And I came awfully close to citing this particular different drummer a couple of episodes back when I recorded The Inappropriate Conversations 191 for False Political Prophecies. At the last minute, in kind of constructing what I thought the game plan would be for that Inappropriate Conversations episode, I swapped in Bette Midler. And what that did was it bumped away today's different drummer, Experiment 626, the fictional character Stitch. Not the first time I've named a fictional character as a different drummer. Surely it won't be the last either, if I were guessing. But because this is a wonder show... Before I get into anything in particular about Stitch as a character, let me play us in and use the two instrumental tracks in this Wonders track list for Wonders 3 as the intro and outro music for the different drummer. The introduction is going to come from one of the founding members of the band Focus, Jan Ackerman, and on a Tabernacle CD that I probably originally had on 8-track, it goes back that far, the song Britannia by John Dowland. 
test before. It was rainy, and they went for a drive. What happened to yours? I hear you cry at night. Do you dream about them? I know that's why you wreck things and push me. Our family's little now, and we don't have many toys. But if you want, you could be a part of it. You could be our baby, and we'd raise you to be good. Ohana means family. Family means nobody gets left behind. But if you want to leave, you can. I'll remember you, though. I remember everyone that leaves. I took advantage of the opportunity to merge that intro music with one of my favorite scenes, and certainly what I think is the saddest scene from the original Disney film, Lilo and Stitch. I've talked about this before, actually. This will be the second time that I've done a shout-out of sorts to this character, Stitch, Experiment 626, in uh, March of 2014. Inappropriate Conversations 141 was a movie review episode called Good Monsters, focused on two films, first Lilo and Stitch, and second, The Lost Continent. And in that episode, I felt like I wasn't able to do justice to really either one of the films that I was referring to. At least with Lilo and Stitch, I know I'd mentioned it casually before in the original uh, Inappropriate Conversations episode, focusing on film as art, Inappropriate Conversations 50. But I still felt like there was more to be said. If there's a little bit of repetition here, uh, it's cut me a little bit of slack from the perspective that this time, instead of talking about the character Stitch in the context of an episode, I'm talking about the character Stitch as a different drummer. And that's kind of important. Because one of the things I wanted to do when mentioning false political prophecies and dealing with all the things that were suggested were you know true accusations leveled against Barack Obama during his presidency, and how many of them proved to be false was I wanted to sort of call out growth on a couple of levels. One was that I think that it's a little bit monstrous to not provide at least the avenue or the possibility that somebody that you think is going to do terrible things is going to disappoint you by doing less of those things than you expect, or even doing some really great things along the way that are our temptation to demonize or, you know, slap a halo on people are both kind of equally wrong and that people do have the ability to surprise us 
either because our perceptions of them are initially false, or, in the case here of Experiment 626, the perspectives were absolutely true, but even something like a laboratory creation, uh, a mad scientist's uh, you know, plan to take over the universe by creating some sort of monster, literally, monster. You know, it's, there's something deep inside the nature, whether it, in this case it wouldn't be human nature, but deep inside our nature, which has the potential to surprise us. And just as humans are inevitably corruptible, the opposite may also be true. First, by way of introduction, Stitch, the character. Just talking from a uh, Wikipedia perspective, Stitch, also known by his species name and birth name, Experiment 626, is a fictional character in Disney's Lilo and Stitch franchise. The first appearance would have been the Disney animated film from 2002. He is one of the franchise's two title characters, the other one being Lilo, who's the main protagonist. The character was created by co-writer and co-director Chris Sanders, who also voices him in almost all the media that he appears in. And in the past, I wouldn't have hesitated to maybe call out a voice actor, certainly in this case, where you've got that voice actor and creator kind of thing going on in you know, one go. And uh, who knows, there may be a time when I do come back and revisit Chris Sanders. But to me, there's more to this Stitch character than just the voice or even just the drawing. Uh, to me, and all of the Disney characters that I can think of, it's very highly rated among my favorites. And one that it's almost hard to pin down as to whether he belongs in the villain category or in the hero category. And the fact that he's a bit of both is really different drummer material. On Disney's Wikia site, it says this. It opens up with a quote from his mad scientist creator, Jumba. Monstrosity? What you see before me is the first of a new species. I call it Experiment 626. He is fireproof bulletproof, and can think faster than a supercomputer. He can see in the dark and lift objects 3,000 times his size. His only instinct? To destroy everything he touches. Followed by your, your typical maniacal villain laugh. This fandom site says this. Stitch is an illegal genetic experiment created by Jumba and uh, serves as the protagonist of the 2002 Disney animated feature film. He's designed to be mischievous, and his primary function was originally to destroy everything he touches. His one true place is with Lilo and her Ohana. I'm going to get to this Ohana means family concept at the end of the Different Drummer segment and talk more about the notion of the redemptive power of love. And maybe the best way we can bend something is, well, mischievous or monstrous as a, an experiment 626 into a potentially lovable character like Stitch is to convey our own values and surround that character with the expectations that are built upon concepts like love and family and community. Stitch does change. Now, the clip I shared at the beginning, though, is perhaps his darkest hour. Lilo is, uh, has snatched away a picture of her family, uh, fearful that the Stitch character who has a tendency to destroy things will rip it up or in some way harm it. This is Lilo's sort of clinging to her memory of her dead parents who died in an accident. And as a result of that accident on this remote part of a, of a Hawaiian island, she is um, alone with her late teenage, maybe early 20s sister uh, to raise her and to get by as best they can 
as a family in the aftermath of that kind of tragedy. In a strangely empathic way for such a very young girl, she sort of recognizes that maybe the reason that Stitch acts the way he acts as well is that he is just as much an orphan, just as much a fish out of water as she perceives herself and her older sister to be. The one book among the children's books in, in Lilo's room in their home that Stitch has attached himself to is The Ugly Duckling. And it's, if, if nothing, maybe a little bit heavy handed of a way of telling the story of the transformation that this character is going to complete by the end of the film. But at this point, The Ugly Duckling in the person of Stitch realizes that this transformation from six to six to Stitch has left him well and truly lost, no longer functioning as he was designed to do, a destroyer of worlds, but also not yet capable of actually being part of the family into which he has been invited. I want to come along later in this different drummer segment to the happy ending. I call it a happy ending, ironically, and despite the fact that I've lived for uh, coming up on six decades, I've lived in more than five decades, let's put it that way, and view myself as somebody who's seen more than his fair share of film, and I've taken in more than my fair share of art, it strikes me odd when I have an emotional reaction to something that is in some ways very transparently aimed at children. The happy ending of Lilo and Stitch, the original 2002 movie, still can bring a tear to my eye, still can uh, cause me to well up with emotion. Um, and part of it is the fundamental power of these fairy tales, these archetypal stories, whether it's the way the Pied Piper was used in the serious adult-focused film, The Sweet Hereafter, or here, the way The Ugly Duckling has been used, with this character being left for now for us in this particular different drummer segment, simply mouthing the words lost and choking back what in a human would be tears. But I want to deal with a few more monstrosities before I leave the different drummer segment. After all, this is a wonders episode, and do I have anything in my collection that while being a one-hit wonder, or at least a one-hit wonder to me, uh, also kind of fits this mold of what I like so much about Lilo and Stitch. Something that functions effectively in two ways simultaneously. Uh, Stitch's case being both a, an evil alien and a family dog of sorts at the same time. The best example I can think of is a wonder that's a song appearing twice on my MP3 player as the only song on my MP3 player from two very different artists. Hit 'em Up Style, the Oops song, popularized, I think, in 2002, could have been late 2001, by an R&B pop singer named Blue Cantrell, did not come into my MP3 player from Cantrell. Her style is maybe a bit of a Mariah Carey kind of a sound, um, Tony Braxton, somewhere in kind of that genre, I would say. But for me... I first heard it from Carolina Chocolate Drops, a string and jug band. And in an interview on NPR Fresh Air with Terry Gross, the band was describing their sound and mentioned this one song particularly to kind of show that their entire catalog isn't just traditional, even very old Americana. That in addition to playing a, a very old style of American musical instrument, an Appalachian sort of string and jug kind of approach, they also have at times applied that same sound to modern music. The example that they used was Hit'em Up Style. 
So here's Carolina Chocolate Drops as one of my wonders, and the original from Blue Cantrell as one of my wonders. It's a hit-em-up style monstrosity.
the cold. What happened to the days when we used to trust each other? And all of the things I sold will take you until you get old to get them back without me. If maybe the uh, the key was identically the same and the and the and the meter was identically the same, and perhaps you could even put these two songs right on top of each other and have both versions playing at once, it's the kind of musical experiment that perhaps only somebody like me could enjoy. Maybe in some ways I've got a bit of the experiment six two six side of my personality showing, rather than the you know homely domestic friend of the family stitch side. It doesn't exactly work, though, because the fact is that the subtle differences, both in key and meter and inflection, is what makes is what gives both of these versions a place on my MP3 player. I don't in any way see two recordings of Hit 'Em Up Style as an oops. It's not a redundancy. You can make an argument that Cantrell's version and Carolina Chocolate Drop's version couldn't be more different. I will say this, though, that if one of these stops being a wonder for me, because the second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh track from the band or the artist gets onto my phone or my MP3 player, it's going to be Carolina Chocolate Drops and not Blue Cantrell. 
just to put it out there. However, I have heard another example of what I might describe as the monstrosity that I did want to share. It did seem to me when I first was being told by friends that I simply had to hear somebody that I used to know by Gotya. And I liked what I heard. I mean, it was in many ways familiar theme and uh, the minimalist simplicity of it kind of reminded me of Suzanne Vega in a good way. But I also was struck by the fact from almost the very first listen that this isn't fundamentally different from Don't You Want Me by The Human League, a song that goes you know, way back to the very early 80s. And again, not saying anybody's trying to rip anybody off here, that one of these is, is a carbon copy of the other. It's just that what they have thematically in common has always made me wonder what it would sound like if you were to simultaneously hear something I might describe as don't you want somebody that I used to know? Oh, <laughs> 
I'll be the first to grant that's hard to hear. But even though with maybe a little more time and effort and a little more sound manipulation, um, I could have made the connection even cleaner and purer, a better merging of the, of the duo of those two songs with similar ideas. I'm at the same time kind of amused that in some places where the Human League's, uh, the Human League track veers from the male vocal side of the story to the female vocal side of the story, it's right where somebody that I used to know kind of kicks in and drops its minimalism and a lot of emotion comes in to Gocha's singing and it's, you get the male voice drowning out the female voice in this combo that I put together. And although somewhat of an accident of the experiment, it is, in many ways, kind of appropriate. <laughs> how it strikes me. In the year that we've just had more than a couple of million women and men who love them, in a nationwide, or even maybe worldwide in some cases, women's march at the start of 2017, there is something about calling out situations like this where the, uh, well, this, there's a mansplaining moment in this experiment that I've put together by combining Don't You Want Me with somebody that I used to know. The songs, being similar enough length, the Gocha track being only a little bit longer, made it easy to conceive of how you would put the two together. And it's the putting the two together that, in this case, created, again, something of a monstrosity. To compare that loosely back to our different drummer, what happens in the course of Lilo and Stitch, and perhaps in the subsequent movies, I was much more impressed with the original than I have been with any elements of the TV series or sequels that I've seen. But then again, I think it's important to resist the temptation to hold an original work accountable for the subpar quality of sequels and reinterpretations that have come later. So to me, though, that the first show is about this combination of a monster character with perhaps a latent or a subtly, accidentally, or unintentionally embedded sort of slice of goodness that's in there somewhere. And the show is about peeling away the layers of that through various experiments and misadventures and hijinks to kind of transform the character in the end to one that ultimately saves its life by being insistent on saying goodbye to a family that it couldn't have conceived of at the beginning of the show. Can Stitch say goodbye? Yes. Thank you. Who are you? This is my family. I found it all on my own. It's little and broken, but still good. Yeah, still good. I talked about it in the previous Inappropriate Conversation dealing with this particular film. Maybe even in Inappropriate Conversations 50, too. Maybe every time I've talked about good monsters, I've made this point. But the show ends with Stitch calling out for any to hear, especially the authorities to hear, that this is his family. It might be little, and it might be broken, but it's still good. Barack Obama, for eight years, was our president. He made a ton of mistakes. I talked about some of those mistakes in previous inappropriate conversations. But I kind of resent the fact that so many people, even people who can't even begin to articulate why they think so, are dead set on this being the worst president in the history of our country, and in some ways, failing to see 
that we might be face-to-face with that problem today instead. Greetings from the cockpit. This is Captain Scott, and we'd like to thank you for flying the Seder Sphere. This is co-pilot Cindy. We ask you at this time to unfasten your safety belt and release your chairs from their uptight position. We're high-flying with stopovers expected in theater, gaming, movies, television, and other mature destinations. We'd like to thank you for flying the frisky skies, and we hope to see you on our next flight to the Seder Sphere.
I mentioned that I was going to use instrumental wonders to play us in and out of the different drummer segment. Jan Ackerman brought us in. The outro there was Dub Trio and Casting Out the Nines. This is another one of those where if I was more into dub music or frankly even reggae music, I might have more of them. Um, I don't want to dismiss an entire genre of music is not my thing, but that might explain why I just have the one track. Casting Out the Nines is my favorite from that particular album, the only one that's made it to my MP3 player. I said at the outset that I wasn't going to uh, spend any time really in this inappropriate conversations with religion, and I was going to try as best I could and fail from time to time to keep politics out of it. But in some ways, you kind of have to answer, what does it mean to say I'm kind of trying to circle the wagons a little bit? Now, this doesn't mean that I am not going to be actively involved in addressing the issues that I see. I've been outspoken. Outspoken enough, in fact, on the IC underscore Greg uh, Twitter handle, or even on my personal Facebook page. Certainly on the Facebook page for Inappropriate Conversations, and also for Walk the Earth. I haven't been shy about speaking up. I'm not here to say I'm not speaking up. I'm just saying sometimes you got to recharge the batteries. And I will have one contemporary Christian song on this particular episode of Wonders. For Wonders 2, the Not Safe for Work version, I included one Christian song there as well, mainly for the ironic joke that it was going to tell. In an episode filled with songs that had explicit language and adult ideas, dropping in a song called He Touched Me was just simply was just simply an irresistible joke. This one, though, I'm not trying to make fun. I just happen to have only one track from Barlow Girl on my MP3 player. That song is going to kick off a set for us here in a second, so maybe I'll spend a little more time introducing it before I play the song Beautiful Ending. It's here because, really, because of my daughter's high school. My daughter's high school, she was part of the choir and uh, was active for pretty much her whole career in in high school and maybe even late junior high with choir and vocal music. And one of the things that they did at the high school that my daughter attended was if you were a senior and you were graduating and you were part of the choir, that last choir concert in the month of May, you know, just the last thing the choir would do before graduation would include solos from, again, any senior who wanted to or duets or even skits, something where the seniors had the ability to take one moment out of that, you know, fairly long final concert to do something on their own. And when my daughter got up to sing the Phantom of the Opera track, Think of Me, which it may be the only song from that entire musical that I actually like, been on the record before, I think, saying that I'm, I'm not a fan of musical theater. It's not really my thing. That theory of mine has been challenged lately by a couple of musicals I haven't yet seen and may never get to see. Uh, Hamilton here lately has produced simply the best song I've heard maybe in a decade in um, Satisfied from the first act of that, the uh, Angelica Schuyler feature, Satisfied. Uh, just about as good as you're going to get. It's definitely a neo-surreal piece of musical theater with some touch points to American history in it, but really a story from a biography that might be a little bit too dry even for my taste brings the human nature element to it. It's as emotional as any song in that musical. And then um, from the Big Fish musical, uh, Fight the Dragons, both uh, introduced to me through the Sater Sphere podcast, 
you know, so there are, there are musical theater elements that I'm beginning to find a way to make my peace with. I think it's simply because of the absolute excellence of those particular works, or at least those particular songs. But one of the first ones that really grabbed me, even back when I was working in record stores and playing Phantom of the Opera in stores, uh, when when a traveling production would come to my moderately sized Midwestern city, you'd sell a lot of copies of Phantom of the Opera to people who wanted to hear the music before they went to the musical, but also people who had taken in the experience, maybe been surprised by how much they liked it, and then gone to make the purchase afterwards. So if you're running a record store where there's a listening post or in-store play over the, the speakers that shoppers can hear, it just makes sense when a big show like Les Mis is coming to town to play some of it during the afternoon when people are milling in and about and doing their shopping. And the only song that actually ever caught my ear from Phantom of the Opera was Think of Me, which in my mind, I guess I'd built up because I thought the song was so great, would be more central to the story itself. And it's actually completely ancillary to the story, meaning the thing I like best about Phantom is actually barely in the show. At least that's a a cynical way of looking at it. I'm telling you as a father, sitting out in the audience, watching your daughter sing one of your favorite songs in the genre that she could be singing in, in this choral music genre, and kind of knowing that she picked the song because she knew I loved it. Um, you know, I, it was, I might have been the only person in tears in the entire audience of people watching this high school perform an entire set of musical numbers, including soloists, including my daughter as a soloist. Well, one of the other girls in the choir, a friend of my daughter, sang this song, Beautiful Ending, by Barlow Girl. And although she did a you know pretty good job, all, all told, it also made me wonder what the original sounded like. Because my daughter's performance, Think of Me, tapped directly into the original Andrew Lloyd Webber original cast recordings that I'd heard over the years. In this case, I had no reference point for Barlow Girl whatsoever. So like with The Scorpions... When I finally now have the ability to go online and just find and buy the one song, uh, I went to get it. And among the songs that I went to get, not long after I switched from a very small SanDisk MP3 player to a very large Zoom uh, that was capable of me adding as much to it as I really wanted to at first, I went to find this beautiful ending.
Johnny's daddy was taking him fishing when he was eight years old. A little girl came through the front gate holding a fishing pole. His dad looked down and smiled, said we can't leave her behind. Son, I know you don't want her to go, but someday you'll change your mind. And Johnny said, take Jimmy Johnson, take Tommy Thompson, take my best friend Bo. Take anybody that you want As long as she don't go Take any boy in the world Daddy, please Don't take the girl Same old boy same sweet girl Ten years down the road He held her tight and kissed her lips In front of the picture show Stranger came and pulled a gun Grabbed her by the arm Said if you do what I tell you there won't be any harm And Johnny said Take my money Take my wallet Take my credit cards Here's a watch that my grandpa gave me Here's a key to my car Mister, give it a word But please Same old boy, same sweet girl Five years down the road There's gonna be a little one And she says it's time to go Doctor says a baby's fine, but you have to leave. Cause his mama's fading past and Johnny hit his knees and there he prayed. Take the very breath you gave me. Take the heart from my chest. I'll gladly take her place if you'll let me Make this my last request Take me out of this world God, please don't take the girl Johnny's daddy was taking him fish, yeah he was eight years old Everything is wonderful Being here is heaven
I mentioned in the long intro to what is kind of near the final set of this particular inappropriate conversations, the emotional response that I had to the performances that were going on when I first heard the song Beautiful Ending by Barlow Girl. 
I followed that up with the only song on my MP3 player by Tim McGraw. And wouldn't be surprised if there's other people in the world who only have one song by Tim McGraw that they listen to on a regular basis, and I'm sure it's the same song, Don't Take the Girl. This is not to dismiss any of the rest of his work, just never never grabbed me enough that I went out to pursue it. And I've frankly always had a bit of an issue with Don't Take the Girl. I think that if it had been constructed just a little bit differently to where maybe the beginning and the ending of song had been put together in such a way that maybe it was a little bit clearer that the entire song, all of the stories told along the way, were being told from the memory of somebody, perhaps in prayer, certainly deeply in thought, while waiting to hear that his uh, his wife had survived a uh, traumatic pregnancy and come through it, kind of come through it alive. So I don't consider Don't Take the Girl to be the uh, you know, as perfect a country western song as maybe a lot of people would, but I still have kept it on my MP3 player because even though every time I hear it, I kind of wish there was a couple of things in the storytelling that were different. I wish its storytelling was as compellingly unique as Satisfied from Lin-Manuel Miranda's Hamilton. It's still pretty solid. And then finally, I finished that off with another one of these songs that's only in my MP3 player because of a movie. I don't have Danny Wilson, the band, uh, as a CD downstairs. At least I don't think I do. And if I do, I'm quite sure it's not the original Meet Danny Wilson album that included the song Mary's Prayer. I kind of heard Mary's Prayer for the first time watching the movie There's Something About Mary. Delighted that it was included in the soundtrack to There's Something About Mary. And, And that's how it found its way onto my MP3 player. Nostalgia big part of what I do. And when I go to a happy place, I'm just as likely, as you can tell, to be looking at things from 20, 30, 40 years ago as I am anything relatively new. And that's just kind of the way nostalgia works, I suppose. And if this is a long episode, which I'm sure it will be, it's because I needed to spend a long time in my happy place. I am mourning some things right now that I think may be gone for good. I'm dealing with some things in my family where we've had significant changes to parents and the way they're living their lives and how long the uh, current course may last. And I guess the line that I've always heard from, from Christian friends is that, you know, the death rate's 100%. All of us are going to punch a ticket. But some of us punched a ticket much too soon and way too young. When I was in elementary school, we were very close to the family that lived to one side of us, the uh, all the cliches you might tell about next-door neighbors was true. And you know, it wasn't it wasn't even much after high school, I don't believe, that the girl in the family next door that was a year older than me, there was um, middle, I was a middle child, as was my older sister. We had a brother who was oldest, and, a, and I had a sister who was youngest. But me and my older sister were in the middle, and kind of between my, my age and my sister's age was Dana, who lived next door. And I remember the song, The Things We Do For Love, 10cc, from Dana. It's not that I didn't hear it on my own, listening to AM pop radio back in the uh, late 1970s, maybe even early 80s, but certainly the late 70s. I have a memory of a radio station in particular, 1460 on the dial, if I'm not mistaken, going from memory, that was playing all the sort of things that you would think of as your classic sort of schmaltzy 70s. I mean, they had Seasons in the Sun and um, Ballroom Blitz, Fox on the Run. The Things We Do for Love was part of it. And, you know, Dana died very, very young. Never got to uh, experience what it was like for these two families to reconnect later on in life. That kind of didn't happen. And maybe one of the things that might have interrupted it was 
the untimely, way-too-young death of my sister, and the even more untimely, far younger death of Dana. But it's a rare occasion that I hear the song, The Things We Do for Love, and not remember being in junior high school in the late 1970s, where AM radio was perhaps the preferred way to try to listen to the songs that everybody was talking about. And one of the songs that everybody was talking about was this particular single from 10cc, the only song from them on my MP3 player, and really a song that's only on my MP3 player because of my next-door neighbor at the time, who is no longer with us.
So I'll grant that that's kind of a cloudy conclusion to a wonder show. When I mentioned that I was going to go this route for this particular inappropriate conversations because I was fleeing to my happy place, maybe happy was a bit of an ironic turn of phrase. But if I can do nothing more with this rain analogy than play us out with something that is widely viewed as happy and optimistic and positive and body positive and representing sort of all the things that I think I want to believe can be true here in the next few years, that no matter what the deficiencies are of people who are presuming to lead us, no matter what crisis the church faces, as many within the church have, in my opinion, sold their soul to a devil of one shape or style or another, that we need to be standing up for the women in our lives, for the women who've come before us and gone way too young, and for people in our lives who are different in ways that we ought to be learning from rather than ostracizing, criticizing, and demonizing. I can't think of very many songs that do this better than the Weather Girls and It's Raining Men. I'll let them have the last word today. Thanks for listening.
This show is a proud member of the Pride 48 Podcasting Network. Check out other great podcasts at pride48.com slash shows.